and welcome back to Shoya Wellness. I'm your host, Ashley Hendrickson, and I'm here today with a friend of mine, Miss Adrienne Wagner. I'm really excited to get you all introduced to Miss Adrienne. She is a relationship coach, an author of two books, and the creator of a program called The Relationship Reset. We met about five years ago um, in a, a workshop learning how to write books, and I just think she's full of great information and lots of valuable knowledge. So, Adrian, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself and your background? Well, do thanks for having me, Ashley. It's great to see you again and reconnect. Yeah, thank you. Um, I am a therapist, a coach, and an author. I've um, worked, uh, I don't know, for over 20 years now in the mental health field. I have a private counseling practice called Bloom Counseling Services. Um, yeah, and I just love working with people in personal development. Yeah, that's great. And so you've shifted a little bit from traditional counseling, it sounds like, but what got you started in the counseling space in the first place? What was the draw for you? Well, I kind of laughed. You had sent me a question about, you know, why did you become a therapist? And I laughed to myself because it's really the thing I teach people about now, which is unconscious uh, childhood programming. The, the careers we gravitate towards really do connect back to our childhoods. And in my family of origin, there was um, generational trauma, like there is in a lot of families. And my role in that family system was really to be uh, the caretaker, the mediator, the helper. And I was taught to figure out what other people needed and provide them that to keep stability and peace in the family system. So of course I became a therapist, right? I'm I'm wired to, to figure out what people need and to support them in that. So early on in my career, I really, uh, you know, the motivation for being a therapist was to help people because it soothed my nervous system. Because mm -hmm. when we're fulfilling those roles, that's, they kept us safe in childhood. So we go sure. and up and do the same thing in adulthood. And my motivation really was for, to soothe my nervous system and also to have a sense of self-worth. I tied my identity and my self-worth with my career, which so I, many. I identify with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. But um, what I do now in, uh, I no longer help people, right? I, I support people. I empower people to come back to themselves, which is the work that I had to do my own healing work over the years. So um, you know, that's, that's why I got started in therapy, but it's turned more into coaching, um, really creating relationships with people to, to bring them back to themselves. Yes. And I love that. I think, you know, just as a platform, Shreya really was born out of my passion to educate and empower because it is so important for people to realize that all of the power to heal themselves, whether it's emotional or physical and mental, all sorts of things that we have challenges with in our lives, we have the power within us. That's right. It's just waking up to that, right? And so exactly. I love that, that you use coach because coach is a different kind of relationship yeah. than someone coming in with expert advice and dictating to an individual what they need to do to fix some perceived problem, right? And so we're so very much aligned, no surprise to me there. Um, on that sort of perspective on, on how to help people. But the goal for me, and it sounds like for you when you're coaching, is that eventually they don't need you anymore because they figured out how to do it for themselves, right? 
Absolutely, absolutely. And I do see those results in my practice. Um, people really learn to integrate skills. And so I am a coach, but I, I refer to myself as like, there is an aspect of education um, in my practice. And that's in my eight week course, Relationship Reset, where um, I do have a component of teaching real skills because by the time people get to me, they can see these unhealthy patterns in their relationships. They have failing relationships. Um, they don't know what to do and they want to know what to do. So the program is a structured program based on science to be able to teach them real skills. But there's also those somatic components, right? Getting them back to their bodies, learning to read their inner knowing. So it's not just me regurgitating and teaching skills, it's finding the skills that work for people to soothe their nervous system um, and access their body's inner knowing, their own wisdom. Yeah, absolutely. I love everything you're saying. And again, resonates so deeply with what I try to do on the functional medicine side with the physical body. Yes. What are What does a typical client look like that you work with if you had to describe an avatar? Yeah, you know, generally I work with women, middle-aged women who um, have lost themselves. They've become disconnected to themselves, right? Like they tend to be uh, overgivers, they're nurturers, um, but then they don't really nurture themselves. So, you know, what ends up happening, there's this chronic self-abandonment. And when that happens over time, our self-esteem, our self-worth, our value uh, just diminishes. And then we, you know, find ourselves, a lot of women, middle-aged women, exhausted, lonely, just like stuck in the role of mother, wife, or partner, of employee, right? And and, and we don't know, you know, where did I go? What happened to me? So, yeah. you know, go ahead. Oh, I just, I had a conversation that's right in line with this earlier this week. I was talking with um, a, a woman and she said, you know, I've always been such a giver and people will always say to me, like, I really hope you're taking care of yourself. And she said, I've, I say, of course I'm taking care of myself. But then I stopped and I wondered, am I? What does that even mean? So is that something that you address in the program? Like, what does it mean to take care of yourself? What is self-care? Because we see that all over the place, right? Right. And, and hot baths and yoga only go so far. Well, right. And is that really self-care? Like, what if I don't right. like being in a hot bath? Yeah. What What if I want to go for a walk or yeah. do cartwheels? You know what I mean? Like, what is it? How do you help people define that and, and empower them to not have the mom guilt of carving out time for themselves? Because is that another common issue you see in practice? Absolutely. Absolutely. Women have a hard time not only spending time, but investing money in their mental and physical health. Yep. And so they give to themselves last. And and our, this idea of self-care um, is kind of a quick fix. But And you know that from the work you do. What we want to do is, is integrate the support in, on a whole body, a whole person perspective. So, yes, yes we're not just dealing with, oh, you need to de-stress by, by, you know, stretching. What the piece I do is the internal aspect. We explore the internal. We heal those parts that keep showing up for us, you know, so that um, the person can show up more authentically and consciously in their life. Mm -hmm. And 
we also do that through somatics, through body awareness, because the body is our biggest ally. And I know you're on board with this. Our body, um, while our mind might lie to us and, and say things that aren't true, that we have to, you know, pick apart, oh, I'm an imposter, you know, our body never lies. The body also has the ability to show you what's there. So physical manifestations of illness, oftentimes, I would say all the time, have an emotional underlier. So I'm dealing with those emotional underliers with people, getting them conscious, helping them heal. And, and a lot of times we see just a deeper connection with the body and then being able to address body issues. Whatever yeah. I couldn't agree more. One major component of what I do in practice is addressing emotional, mental health, because there is such a close tie to connected. What, yeah. yeah. What are we think? What are our thoughts all day long? And how are those manifesting physically? Can you give a couple of, an, of examples of maybe what some of those challenges are that you're working through in your program with your clients? Yeah, I mean, I definitely do a lot of work around th thoughts and reframing thoughts. Um, but also, again, it's helping people come into touch and create the authentic self. So the education piece in this eight-week online course, which is interactive, there's um, an interactive component, a skill builder, videos, meditations, and one-on-ones in group. So we're addressing like many life domains there. And really, um, I'm just trying to bring people back to themselves. So we educate them on the childhood programming, right? We all have programming. Here's how I explain it. You grow up learning a primary first language, right? For us, it's English. We learn English as a first language. Um, and you also grow up learning a way of being in relationships, a way of being in a family system, a first language programming of being in a family. Now, if I told you, well, you just need to unlearn English and go learn Spanish, that would be impossible. You can't unlearn your first spoken language, just like you can't unlearn your first language of being in relationships. So we carry all that programming into adulthood and we recreate our childhood experiences and relationships. With so interesting. Let that sink in for a second. I mean, it makes perfect sense because you do what you know, That's but right. I think what I'd like to dig into a little bit more is, yeah, you couldn't unlearn English. How could you possibly unlearn it? It might get a little foggy if you stop using it all the time, but it will never go away. Right. So when we're talking about programming and the way that we were raised or how we have identified our entire lives, what does that process then look like? Because you can't unlearn just like it. stop being who right. you are and who you've always been. So how do you, I'm, I'm guessing, embrace and accept that identity while working on building other skills? But Yes, but except you don't, em, you do embrace it. You do acknowledge, you learn about it, right? Mm -hmm. But you don't, you learn to disidentify with it. So let me say this, for the majority of people, the statistics are high, right? Between 50 and 90% of people fall on the spectrum somewhere of codependency. They were raised in codependent family systems. Can I stop you one second? Sure. Can you explain what that means to, to anyone who may not know what codependency is or looks like? Yeah, codependency really is 
um, de being dependent, if I want to say in a nutshell, being dependent on another person for your sense of well-being. Okay. Yep. So you said how much, what's the percentage of people? Between 50 and 90%. So we go, right. So okay. we're taught to look for happiness and connection and all the things outside of ourselves. And then when someone doesn't meet that expectation, we're angry and frustrated and combative. And, and then we go look for it somewhere else. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. So, so we get clear about what that codependent programming is. And then we work to build a healthier version of self, an interdependent person. And so we learn to disidentify the codependency isn't who we are. Just like who I am isn't an English speaker that doesn't comprise the whole of me. It's a part. But I don't need to identify with me as just an English speaker because guess what? I also speak Spanish. Right. And, and so that's what we're doing in the program is we're learning another language in essence. We're learning a language of interdependency. I love that. And, and so then I'm going to ask another question what would be the difference between interdependent and independent? Uh, okay. Interdependence is autonomy, being your own person, but still being in relationship in a healthy way with someone. Uh, okay. Versus I'm just going to do it by myself. Right. Well, the right. bottom line is we can't do it by ourselves. <laughs> I mean, it's impossible. We're, we're energetically, we're connected beings and, yes. and, and we need each other. That's the bottom line. And if you're trying to just do it by yourself, there's probably some childhood trauma that needs to be addressed there. I was That's just going to say. Defense mechanism. Yeah. Right. Coping skills maybe become, forget everybody else. I'll just go it alone. Right. It can feel um, safe when that's your childhood experience. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Are there any like techniques or skills that you could share with how to start to either one, identify this pattern in yourself. And if you do, like, what's the first exercise to start to develop interdependence? Well, the, the kind of the core foundation, I describe it to people as if you build a house on a cracked foundation, everything in the house is going to be a little off, right? Nothing's going to be plumb. And so really, we kind of have to tear down the old self. And when I say tear down, it's just like get clear about what that programming is and then build a new foundation. So we really do that. Um, the first activity we're doing in Relationship Reset is really identifying characteristics in other people we respect and admire. Hmm. Because the things we respect and admire are actually what we value in ourselves. Like, value in ourselves or value for ourselves, I should say. So, so what we're doing is like picking, you know, thinking of people, we can know them or not know them. They can be alive or dead. And we're naming the characteristic. So for example, maybe it's Oprah, uh, her, her resilience. So resilience goes on my list and um, you know, the Dalai Lama compassion goes on my list. And then each of those characteristics, we define them from the first language, which is what messages did I receive in childhood about this word? Um, and then we redefine them how we want to show up in life. So, for example, say, say compassion's on your list and you grew up thinking that compassion was weakness or compassion was rescuing or, you know, for sissies. 
but but you are a compassionate person and you want to support people and so you redefine that and then over the course of learning skills we start to practice being that person showing up from the second language healthier version of self instead of the first language programming and so that's one example of an uh, an activity we do early on that is so interesting and sounds so powerful, yeah. right? It's almost like a redefining of how you can show up in your life being who you really are without compromising your integrity and and the core of, of your identity. Right, and not over-identifying with, I mean, the programming, there's these shadow aspects of the self that we just judge ourselves for from this programming and, and we identify that as us, like, oh, this behavior where I lash out at people, I'm, I'm just a horrible person. And it's like, you were taught to do that in childhood to get your needs met. So let's sure. just notice that and, and take away the judgment, accept that part of ourselves is there. That's okay. But you don't need to identify it as you. You is the you you create and choose through your skills, through your consciousness every day. And the more you do it, the more it integrates, just like learning a second language. The more you practice Spanish, the more it integrates. And over time, you then are speaking Spanish and you don't have to think about it and translate it. It's sure. just there. Yeah, That's how you create the healthier version of self. And I think it's important and in a great perspective to talk about it as a skill that yeah. you develop, right? Like it's yes. the same thing as going to the gym. It's a muscle we have to exercise. Right. And and it's hard to make those kinds of changes at first, right? Same yes. thing with functional medicine. You know, it's it's just first creating the awareness. Right. Right. Learning to tap in and pay attention yep. to the signals that that's mm -hmm. just so crucial to any, I think, of the healing work that any of these amazing practitioners I've been talking with over the last few months are, are doing is yeah. how do we create awareness? What do we need to pay attention to? What have we been ignoring or accepting as status quo? Because it's right. what we've known our whole lives, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, so awareness is helpful. Yeah, yeah. Without, without consciousness, without awareness, there is no change. You can't change what you can't see. Yeah. So that's the education piece of the program. People get real clear on what that that is for them, what they need to see, what they haven't seen. And then they have, it's empowering because then they have a choice to continue doing it or not. Yes, absolutely. Same thing I say with food, like eat the gluten, find out what happens, and then you can make the decision. Do I want to feel awful? Do I want to take this medicine? Or do I want to feel good and avoid these things that are aggravating me? Um, that's but yeah. Yeah. And so it becomes about, it's not whether the behavior is right or wrong, good or bad. It's, do I like my outcomes? Yes. I'm, I'm not here. You're not here to judge people about what they do, if it's right or wrong, good or bad. It's like, well, do you like your outcomes? Well, if you don't, maybe it's time to change your choices. Maybe it's time to do something different. Yeah. And I, I love, love the approach. What are some of the big shifts that people tend to see? in their relationships when they start to develop this interdependence? Well, here's, I have a disclaimer, um, and that is when you start to do your, your work and address these programs and, and start to make different choices and do things like communicate in healthy ways and set healthy boundaries, 
the people in your life will either grow with you or they won't. Yes. So there's no in between. If, if your relationship, when people come in and their relationships on the brink, I tell them like either you will stay together or you won't, you'll grow together or you will be done. Like there's no in between. Um, so, so really I, it does happen where people are willing to grow together. But if you have a person say who is in a relationship with someone who has a, a, an amount you know, again, I see everything on the spectrum. Say this is the narcissism spectrum, right? If there's a person that has a lot of narcissistic tendencies, um, their willingness or ability to change is going to be pretty limited. And yes. so generally those relationships will end, which can be at first disconcerting to people, but as they build their own, uh, you know, toolbox and get more confident, um, they're willing to surrender to the process and trust the journey that they're on. Yeah. So I I get think, a, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I do, I, I, I end up with a lot of women who, um, you know, they're either anxiously attached, which means, um, you know, they, they want control. They feel anxious. They need people to be okay to soothe their nervous system and they want um, connection, but they're generally with a person who is avoidantly attached, which means they don't, um, reach for people or respond when people reach towards them. So we get cl really clear on attachment styles and how to meet your own needs in the container of the relationship. And then also, you know, communicate and ask for your partner to meet you and, and learn skills to improve the relationship too. Yeah. And I think that is probably very, very important. Uh, what I was going to say was <clears throat> I was, interviewing a couple of other therapist friends and they do a lot of couples work. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a misconception that when people go into therapy to, uh, because they're struggling in their relationships, that it's only successful if the relationship survives or it improves. And sometimes therapy is the most successful when you recognize that you're in a very dysfunctional or unhealthy place and you're able to gain that insight and power to stand up and walk away. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, I can't stress that enough. And that's why outside of my scope, my own personal opinion is that therapy and counseling can be immensely successful when it does ultimately lead you to ending relationships that are detrimental to your best interest. That's right. Yeah, so that's that right. You're growing with or you're out <laughs> pretty much. Right. right? Yeah, yeah, because once people start setting boundaries in relationships, when you start doing that and you've never done that before, yeah. people don't like it. <laughs> so, well, right, you just change the rules of the game. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that yeah. can be a really hard thing to do for a lot of people. For sure. For sure. And I really, I don't take couples traditionally. Um, mm -hmm. I will work with both people in a relationship, but how that looks is they're each going through the program at different times because there's a group component um, in the live program, I don't want them in the same group at the same time. So I'll only do couples work with people generally if one goes through the program and then the other one goes through and then we can come back and do couples work. That makes because, so much sense because yeah. how could you possibly be completely open and honest about what you're dealing with, right? I think- yeah, and, and, 
And even like, if you're not addressing your own issue, and this is what happens in relationships a lot, right? The couples come in and they say, well, he da-da-da-da-da, or she da-da-da-da-da. And, and people don't understand how they're contributing to the issues because we don't have the ability to be objective yes. about our own stuff, which is why, you know, counseling and coaching helps. You have an objective person saying, have you thought about this? And it's like, oh, I didn't even see that. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, which is why any good therapist and coach has either has their own therapist or coach or has gone to ther therapy and coaching because yeah. we can't be objective about our stuff either. So, of course, because we're all human, right? And I think their personal experience, walking the journey, doing the work, doing the self discovery and the digging and the questioning and the growing is what makes people who are in this healing space great at what they do. One, because they get it, they've been there, they understand the challenges, but they're living it. Yep. And there's a big difference there. There is. When you've when you've walked through something, it, it the experience changes your perspective. It it gives you a deeper level of understanding. And the beauty about you know doing the work to you know, you don't have to always be doing the work, but there are times when it's appropriate to do the work, right? And and when you do that, when you heal parts of yourself, because we're interconnected, um, you you are then really, in essence, healing your community and on a larger scale, healing the world. Mm -hmm. And I think we're all really being called to that right now, to, to really do the work and heal ourselves and go into the community conscious and, you know, from a place of, of health, Absolutely. And, and right from there. Yeah. Yep. It's time to wake up, right? Yeah. Time to wake up. So you mentioned two books. Do you want to tell us a little bit about those? Sure. Um, the first book I wrote back in 2006, um, Creative Chameleon Finds Acceptance, is actually a book for gender self-identifying kids. So I was working with um, kids at that time. Right now I just work with adults, but... Um, there were no books really out there for kids who uh, were biologically female identifying as male or vice versa. So I just wrote one. So that's my my first book, a fun, fun book for kids. And then my other book, I, as you know, I worked in um, a hospice for 10 years doing grief work. And A Mother's Hidden Grief is really a workbook for people who have lost a baby. So this can be through, um, early infant death or miscarriage, SIDS, um, you know, genetic conditions. It's a way for people to work through their grief. And um, also the activities, there's also activities for children, if you have living children after a loss, to help you help them with their grief. So it's kind of twofold. Yeah, and that's such important work too. I mean, so many women struggle with miscarriage and a lot lose their children at all different times right. across their lifespan. Um, and that can be very impactful. I would imagine impacts relationships too. So there's a component that probably ties back into how to move through that yes. and keep your relationships strong and healthy. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, losing a child, um, it can be one of the most devastating losses. And, and, you know, I talk about kind of how we tear that house down. A loss like that tears the house down, right? Yeah. So to speak. It, 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 lots of mothers will describe um, a part of me died. 
And that's not an exaggeration. Um, yeah. Part of the ego, uh, who was the self experiencing a loss like that is gone. Because of that experience, the perspective of life totally shifts. And, and people need ways to work through that and, and address who am I now? You know, how do I move forward now having had this trauma? And so while the program I'm doing now isn't, it's trauma informed, but not trauma based, um, you know, there is, there is work to be done in the trauma realm as well for people. And, sure, and they've all experienced some sorts of trauma. Absolutely. Degrees. Yeah. So how do people work with you if they're listening and they think this sounds like something I really need to explore more? Um, sounds like virtual options. Do you do mm -hmm. in-person workshops? What are the options for people? I do. I do in-person and also virtual. I use uh, Zoom with the, it's HIPAA compliant, the platform piece of Zoom that I use. And so I can work with anybody uh, anywhere doing the coaching in the eight-week program. And um but yeah, in person, if, if you're in Colorado, for sure, that's yeah. that's an option too. Who wouldn't want to be in Colorado? Yeah, go to my website um, and that's adrianwagner.com. Okay. And I my landing page is on there for uh, the eight week program and then also my other offerings. Yeah, Awesome. And I'm assuming there's social media where they can follow you for more information. Yeah, Adrian Wagner Counseling on Instagram and Adrian Wagner on Facebook and Bloom Counseling on TikTok. My kids Great. talk to me into that one. Uh, mine too, and I still can't really figure out how to be cool on TikTok. Right. <laughs> they do these silly videos and they'll get like 500 views in the matter of a few minutes. And I think I put something really clever together. Like right. 50 people maybe see it in a week. <laughs> so clearly I haven't figured that out yet, but <laughs> work in progress, just like everything else. That's right. Figuring it out. Mm -hmm. It was such a pleasure to have you here and so good to see you. So thank you so much for your insights and sharing your work. Um, it's important stuff you're doing and I'm happy to get it out to everyone who's listening. If you all have questions or would like to reach out and work with Adrienne, um, you can find her on her social media platforms, her website. We will have links down below. And if you can't remember that, you can always email us at info at treyawellness.com and we'll be happy to connect you with Adrian. Thank you so much for being here and for listening, guys. Adrian, thank you so much for your time. You. And we'll see you soon. Have a good day. Bye.